As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Hey hello, hello, hello. Welcome. Welcome. Matt. Hey, thanks. To um, hey, friends uh, and patriots and uh, all those who are listening. <laughs> come patriots. <laughs> come patriots. Sure. That means you're with patriots. You and I would be yeah, come yeah. patriots. Come patriots. Anyway, um, it's the Gravity Leadership Podcast. It's 2021. Um, I'm your host, Ben Sternke. I'm, I'm Matt Tebby. Matt Tebby. You know what I've been thinking host. about, Ben? What have you been thinking about? Two things. Sperm. Mm-hmm. And the holidays. Mm-hmm. You want to hear about yeah. either? Uh, let's let's hear about the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> if no, those are my only it, two choices. Yeah. yeah. No, I, th- I just um. So we had a family movie night last night, and uh, mm-hmm. there there was a little leftover popcorn. Mm-hmm. Can hear that. Mm-hmm. And I uh, went downstairs right before we recorded this recording in the morning, and I decided I'm going to polish off that bucket of popcorn. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, before eleven a.m., I feel like that's one of the things that if you if you do that like on March second, you know, you mm-hmm. you know, you may need to like look at yourself in the mirror, take a long hard look at yourself in the mirror, ask yourself mm-hmm. what you're doing with yourself. But over the holidays, we let ourselves get away with all kinds of stuff. We do, yeah, it's true. There's like all the all the all the normal rules, all the normal mores and of of propriety and mm-hmm. whatever. We we just it all goes out the window. Yeah. And we yeah. do whatever we want. It's true. Yeah, I was thinking uh, one of the things I uh, tend to do is stay up too late when it's Ooh. the holiday time. Okay. I like I like the late night. I like okay. uh I feel like it's you know it's time by myself. I like that. Yeah. But as I've gotten older, um I can't, you know, I can't really handle it. 
So I was like, like the holidays are coming up and I'm like, oh, I'd stay up late. But then I'm like, I can't, I can't afford to stay up late. I'm 45 years old. I'm going to be super <laughs> tired in the morning. Yeah. I'm going to feel bad for my whole vacation. I'm going to feel bad. So right. Uh, right. I try to get to bed on time. Yeah. 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 Plus my th- dog wakes up and needs to go out at like 730, like clockwork, you know, yeah. it's like having a baby. That's the difference in our families. I feel like my wife, uh, it's, it's probably the Enneagram one thing. Cause I'm married to mm-hmm. an Enneagram one, Ben, mm-hmm. and you're an Enneagram one. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife just sort of takes responsibility for the dog and mm-hmm. I don't argue with her about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're the, you're the dog guy in your family. I am. Yeah. It's a little different, uh, dynamic. Um, but you know, my, uh, my wife works, she gets up uh, and goes to work most days, you know, of the week and she needs to be at work by 8 a.m. That's uh, kind of a normal work schedule. So, yeah. so anyway, so she's got her morning is like, I don't have time to take the dog out. I got to like get all my uh, stuff together. She's a busy woman. So yeah. So it feels like a fair thing. So. <sighs> yeah. But it is like, I can't really sleep in. So no. Anyway. No, old, old people problems. You know who doesn't old have old people, people problems? problems? Who's that? Andrew Arndt. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause he's, he gets a lot of things done, goes to sleep on time. He's got, he doesn't eat popcorn in the morning. He's got some healthy Pro- rhythms. Probably not as far as we know. And, uh, as far as we know. And uh, Andrew, Andrew and I have actually known each other for over 15 years. Um, it's amazing how many people I went to seminary with and I'm still in touch with or conversation mm-hmm. with. Some good friends, some good acquaintances. Andrew is a, a friend in seminary and we're still, we're still friendly. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Anyway, he's written a book on the Holy Spirit. It's yes. pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we talked to him yes. about it today on the yeah. podcast. Um, yeah. Yeah. A life in the Trinity. Um, kind of pulling from, uh, pulling from a lot of, uh, ancient church resources, um, which, uh, which I love. I read, uh, somebody I follow on Twitter, Jared Boyd. He's been on the podcast before. Oh, I too. love Jared. Yeah. It's good um, day. he wrote this on Twitter recently. He said, all my current favorite theologians are reaching back to the early church, particularly the Eastern fathers. Mm. I think we're all looking for the mystery and mysticism, uh, experience, read experience, uh, within the study of our theology, something that was always meant to be left intact. The experience of God in the scriptures, the real presence of God as is found in the Eucharist yes. is where theology should live. Um, and I really resonated with that. I was like, yeah, that's true. And I, I also re- was reminded of this interview and about uh, Andrew's book uh, where he does uh, a lot of this work. And uh, mm. we sort of geeked out a little bit in this interview just on uh, ancient church Sources and the way that they, um, yeah, the way they saw things, I think, is so it's so needed uh, for us today in our Western. I think our the way that we see the world and think about theology has been so flattened out. Yeah, and um, the anyway, the ancient church has a lot of resources uh, for this, and Andrew does a great job of bringing those into uh, the present day and kind of presenting them to us in a in a way that's. Um, palatable because sometimes mm. reading through those old uh church resources are like like it can be yeah. uh, it can be a hard slog uh, yeah there's it was some slogging that happens hundreds of years ago yeah so anyway i'm looking forward to uh being able to give you this interview i'm also looking forward to 2021 matt are you yeah i am i don't think you're alone yes i mean I'm- i th- i think everybody's hoping it's going to be better than 2020 i mean you know you don't want to just put your hope in that but uh there's a lot of reasons for me, that I'm looking forward to 2021. You and I uh, recently signed a book contract. Do, 
Oh, and we're talking yeah. about this. You're, we're yeah, just going, we're talking we're just, about it. We're, we're just going to talk about it on the podcast. If if we I'm stay silent, even the rocks will cry out. Yeah. Yes. No, we did with with IVP. We're going to write a book that's yeah. based on our seven axioms that are part of our training. It's also the first part of our uh, podcast series. So we'll probably go back and listen to that as research for writing this book. But <laughs> uh, the book say? won't come out until summer of 2022. Um, yeah. Or so, at least that's the uh, presumed date right now. Right. But anyway, we're going to spend the first uh, few months of the of this year writing that, and so I'm really excited about that. Yeah, so, me too. Yeah, Should be fun. fun. We've got some funding for you know under resourced leaders to attend uh, Gravity Leadership Academy yeah. to participate in that. Uh, I'm really excited to uh, to do that. Um, we've also got uh, some. We also got some funding uh, last year to just to try to help more people get into Gravity Leadership Academy, um, yeah. which, you know, sponsors this podcast. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited about all that stuff. I'm excited about our new series. It's going to start, I think, I think next week. Yeah. Um, that we've been recording episodes for on power, uh, gender and race in the church, kind of how all these things uh, play themselves out. Um, we're learning a lot about that. We did learn a lot about that in 2020 and, uh, we'll continue to learn a lot more, uh, this year, I trust. And, uh, you know, if all the vaccine stuff goes well, I am looking forward to being with people in person again, uh, hopefully soon. Um, and that may mean hopefully being with all y'all going to workshops. Yeah. Coming let's, out to, let's get back people. to breathing on each other. Yeah. <laughs> shaking, shaking hands. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so I'm hopeful for all that stuff. Excited for the new year. Excited to bring this interview and um, and the new series. It starts next week. Anything yeah. else to say, Matt? No. 2021, yay. Book, yay. Uh, don't eat popcorn if it's not Christmas time or stay yeah. up late. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's about time, you know, by the time this, this releases, it's about time to stop eating popcorn in the morning, probably. You know. <laughs> if, if you haven't it's already. Like, it's, yeah. I mean, just, you know. Christmas Christmas tide is almost over. All right. The epiphany's coming up. All right. You know, well, let's, let's get back to work. It's probably enough. I'll, I'll save my sperm hot takes for the next uh, podcast. Yeah. 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 There yeah. is, uh, if you want to look it up, there is an article. It was written a couple of years ago uh, that that we're talking about there. About uh, why why sperm counts are going down. <laughs> Man. <laughs> anyway, it's actually kind of an interesting, serious article. But, you know, that's it's not a problem yeah. for me. Uh, <laughs> Not, I, right. I'm impervious. That, that you know. Well, I, right. I Yeah, that's another conversation. Maybe we'll do a whole podcast on this. Anyway, here comes <laughs> Andrew Arndt. Andrew Arndt. Andrew Arndt, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Yep. Andrew's the teaching pastor at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, and he has his own podcast. It's mm-hmm. called The Essential Church Podcast. Andrew That's and I went one. to seminary together, both got uh, both mastered that divinity at yeah, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Um, and you have been at Sanctuary Church and Bloom and uh, yep. previous stops. Yep. Am I leaving anything out? Do you have Do you have like a wife? Do you have a life outside of church? I do have a wife. Uh, Mandy and I just celebrated 20 years of marriage like a week and a half ago. Is it? Wow. Yeah, Congrats. two weeks ago, actually. Two weeks. That's yeah, 20 awesome. years. Well done. 
Met in high school, married after my freshman year of college, and uh, come on, that's a purity culture success story right there, buddy. Dude, and we're still together <laughs> and happier than ever, man. It was actually funny. Our anniversary was so sweet. We uh, we honeymooned in uh, lovely Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, way back oh, yeah. when we were just oh, kids, yeah. Yeah, and we yeah. hadn't been back there since. And so uh, we did our um, we did our anniversary trip here. Our twentieth anniversary was in Lake Geneva, and it was fun, man. It was just fun to like walk the streets and to think about all the twenty years that goes by. Yeah. Y'all know it just goes mm-hmm. by so fast. Yeah, and yeah. to think about the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs and how God's been faithful to us. So it was really special, really meaningful. So yeah. I married twenty years, and um, I got four kids. Uh, my oldest, Ethan is at freshman orientation today oh, wow. so he's starting his freshman year of high school which is crazy to think about uh, four years from now we're going to be sending him off to college but yeah so he's starting freshman year i got a 13 year old gabe who's starting his eighth grade year uh my daughter bella is 11 she's starting middle school so going into sixth and then we have one bringing up the rear liam who is eight and going into second grade this year so yeah mm. we're just got in the family flow there. and trying yeah. to pastor and have fun and Yes. Enjoy life. <laughs> yeah. Well, Andrew, you're um, somebody that I've learned a lot from and have wanted to get you on the podcast, wanted an excuse to get you on the podcast for a while, yeah. but I'm, I'm glad that uh, your new book, which is coming out with, in, uh, with Nav Press called All Flame. Yep. It's a book on the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for those who are unfamiliar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and here's that, what, here, that Trinity. That not, Trinity. Not, not yeah. some of the other ones. Yeah, not from... The one from um, the Matrix movies. Oh, okay. Not from... Right. Gen, yeah. Gen X jokes <laughs> popping up all over. Um, so, uh, Andrew, why did you decide to write a book on the Trinity? Well, I didn't really, actually. The, the story of the book is that um, when I signed with Nav Press, the original idea was um, something like... It's a, this is a whole long story on how I even wound up with them. But the original idea was something like the ordinary contemplative. Hmm. And what I was wanting to do, the original idea that I pitched at them, was I was like, I, people, we live spiritual lives already. We just don't realize it. And uh, when we think about the contemplative life, the, the contemplative life is the life of awareness of God. And then it's, a, it's, a, um, it's an open-hearted, submitted, ongoing partnership with God in the unfolding biography that is the identity that he's placed inside of us. You know what I mean? Yes. It's that. Mm-hmm. And, and the way in which God does that is he uses the circumstances of our lives. The mm-hmm. ordinary stuff of our existence shapes us as the spiritual beings he, we are and that he intends for us to be. It's that, you know? So my idea was I just wanted to help like ordinary people sitting in the pews reclaim their lives as the training ground for holiness and the meeting ground with God. Mm-hmm. And that's what they signed up for. That's what I signed up for. And so um, when I signed with them, I didn't have, you know, normally you'd have a couple chapters together that kind of give you a sense of this is where it's going and all that. But I didn't have any of that. All I had was an eight and a half by 11 sheet that I pitched at them. And they <laughs> said yes to that. So I started writing it. And as I started writing, I kept thinking, I need like, you know, I was grasping for a framework. Like I need a framework that I can start to build some of these ideas around. And I don't know, I can't even remember why I decided on it, but it just felt like, okay, if this is, if at its core, this is a book about God and human beings, and what happens when they get all tangled up with each other, then I want to unpack that through the identity of God. That's the only Mm -hmm. way that we can actually make sense of our existence. And so I just Mm -hmm. thought, okay, in part one, I'm just going to unpack God as Father, God as Son, God as Holy Spirit, 
and talk about the unique contribution that awakening to each member of the Godhead makes to our unfolding spiritual journey and how mm. he does that in the stuff of our lives. Mm. And then, uh, so I sketched those out. I thought, this is actually kind of working for me. And I thought, now, do I move on from the Trinity? Or No, you don't move on from the Trinity. It's always <laughs> God. It's always the one in whom we live and move and have our being yeah. is this God and no other. And so in part two, I thought, and this is a real, con- this is, I think, probably the, the weightiest part of the book is part two. I thought there's got to be a way. I think that we make our most uh, the, our our most significant spiritual growth always happens through crisis, darkness, hmm. trial and tribulation, the dark night of the soul, aridity, the story taking turns that we didn't expect, all that stuff. I thought I got to talk about that also through a triune lens. So what I reached for was the Trinity again, talking about the dark night of the soul when the face of the Father is hard to see, talking about when the when our following the Son of God, Jesus takes us to places we didn't expect. What does that do to us? And then, and this um, this is a real special chapter for me, and, and um, I think as a charismatic, it maybe took me a lifetime to write. Um, that last chapter in, that, in part two is on experiencing the Holy Spirit not as a water that quenches us or makes us feel really good, but how do we, what does it look like to experience the Spirit as a fire that burns us? And not just in occasional ways, but like, how do we claim the presence of the Spirit, so the capital F fire of God, inside the small fires of our lives? So how do we see those places when it feels like our soul is on fire, our life is on fire, everything is burning down around us? How do we see that as a moment when the Spirit of God is actually reaching out to us? So mm-hmm. yeah, it was really more a book on just how does God change us? What does He make us into? And I reached for the Trinity as a kind of framework, and I, I think that it worked. It was fun mm-hmm. to write in that way. And I'm not aware of another book out there like it, um, uh, but it certainly was fun to do. I'm hoping hoping that it helps people. Yeah. Well, there's certainly plenty of books on the Trinity out there, and usually yeah. they talk about Arianism and modalism and tritheism right. and eggs and clovers and water right. and how it's all awful. Yeah. It, they're typically systematic or historical theologies. Yeah. And what struck me about this as I read it was this is about spiritual formation. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, so I want to press into this a bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, I became a Christian, I think around eight at like a Baptist VBS camp with the, the colors, you know, like, um, what is it? Black and red and green. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Growing I was up. charismatic. So we didn't spend a lot of time with the Baptists, you know, so <laughs> yeah. you're going to have to, you're going to have to enlighten me. Yeah, basically <laughs> it was just, um, you know, you're, um, everything was created good, but then sin got, sin got sure. in there yeah. and jacked everything up. And now yeah. you as an eight year old, you're pretty jacked up. Yeah. But Jesus will save you from being jacked up. So you got to yeah. trust Jesus, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And mm-hmm. if you trust Jesus, then you get oh, the white card. You get to go to you get to go to the white place and then there's a gold card. Why? Cuz right. it's paved with gold, right? Right. Um right. and so nice. why do we need I guess maybe I just say that to say I I came to faith thinking quote Jesus is all I need. Right. But right. your book is describing the fact that Jesus doesn't A, Jesus isn't all we need. Right. B, Jesus never comes by himself. <laughs> so tell me why we need Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our gospel. Man, I, I think that that's a tremendous question. And I think that you actually said it. You tucked the answer in your question that Jesus never comes alone. The Trinity is never divided. So mm. what Jesus does is Jesus leads us. He unites us to himself and he leads us to the Father. He's the great high priest. So he gathers up our humanity and he presents it to the Father. 
whole and complete. Mm. And but all of that we don't we're not physically with Jesus. So how is Jesus doing that now? He's doing that by way of the Holy Spirit, who still is brooding over the waters of chaos, um, breathing a creative word and drawing humanity into the person of Jesus who presents us to the Son. And when you start grasping, I think when you start grasping the Trinitarian uh, movements, it really enriches your spirituality. And, uh, you know, it's always there for us uh, as believers, unless I think unless you're in a, you know, unless you're in a Christian communion that has built its identity on something other than the Trinity, you know. Yeah. Um, I think it's always there. I just think that it's underexplored for most people, you know. So for us, growing up charismatic, everything for us was the Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit, the Holy mm. Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Um, and Jesus is there. Jesus is the way in which you get saved and we become children of God, but we, we, we emphasize the Holy Spirit. Um, and But we sang, holy, holy, holy. You know, Lord God Almighty, you know, uh, Blessed Trinity. We sang those songs, so it's always there. I think it's just when you leverage it as part of your spiritual formation, things get really rich. And I remember a pivotal, just a real quick, a seminal moment for me was reading G.K. Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy, many years ago. And uh, and him talking about um, um, how the Trinity is baffling to the mind, but it's comforting to the heart, that somehow God is a society and that Mm -hmm. we're welcomed into God as a society and uh, that builds into us a kind of intuition about the way that life works, that life is not a solitary endeavor, but it's actually, it's a communion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when you start, when you open your eyes to that, you can see it everywhere, that what it means to be in family, what it means to be in society, mm-hmm. what it means to be in the church is that mm-hmm. we're brought into something that shadows and mirrors the Trinity. And, and mm-hmm. so I, I just think you got to camp there, you know, I think yeah. you got to sit inside of it and you got to let yeah. the... The identities of each member of the Godhead mutually enforce, reinforce your understanding of who God is. I think your spirituality gets richer for it. Yeah, I hear you saying, you know, Andrew, that you maybe, and Matt reflecting a little bit on, you know, your eight-year-old experience of uh, faith and what that meant and what Jesus uh, is for, so to speak. The the difference there is that um, it's easy maybe to look at Jesus as a um, instrument. Yep. of our salvation. Like, here's the mechanism by mm-hmm. which you get the white card, you know, and the gold card, you know. Like, here, here's the mechanism by which you get this prize. Yes. But when you, when you contemplate the Trinity, you realize that, oh, this isn't a mechanism by which I get a prize that I can obtain and yes. hold and, you know, consume maybe, but this is a life into which I am being invited. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah. The Trinity the Trinity resists transactional reduction. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And the, the problem was our soteriologies, you know. I mean, if you talk about it, yeah. what you get is the white card. You get to go to heaven when you die. God is seen as, Jesus is seen as an instrument to something right. else. But yeah. uh, that's not at our best. That's not how we've talked about what no. salvation is. Salvation just is the great gift of God himself as that gift obtains in our souls as we yield it to God. Yes. We become like God, we move from image to likeness, we mirror him, we're drawn into union with him. And when you start grasping that, then, you know, I think about the great line of Thomas Merton, where he says, why should I, why should I desire anything that does not give me God? Yeah. And why should I fear anything that cannot take yeah. God away from me? When you realize yeah. that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the ground of your existence, I yes. think it gives you an unusual posture in the world. 
you don't need things out there to complete you, but you're not afraid of anything either. You're just yeah. in it with a kind of awareness I think that's unusual. Yeah. Mm. Yes, it it really does change everything. I, I I don't know for me like when this change happened. It feels like it happened maybe over some time. Um, it probably started when I started reading Dallas Willard. We mentioned mm-hmm. Willard a lot yeah. in our stuff and on this podcast. But it started, you know, with with reading Willard, where where I started realizing, oh, like salvation is not, it's not a transaction. It's yeah. not a mechanism. It's not uh, a means by which God gives me something other than Himself. Yes, um, and it makes all the difference. It just makes all the difference. Um, and it, 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 yeah. I don't know. I can't yes. say enough about it. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you. Which you is probably also, why your book ended up. Uh, the first part of your book ended up being your book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, you signal it through all throughout the book, Andrew, that you're not seeking for our assent or even belief, as it's maybe used in the nomenclature. Yeah. But but you're seeking to invite us into an experience or a participation uh, yeah. encounter. Yeah. Um, and I, I wonder if you could speak a bit about those who. How do we encounter the Father um, when we all of our experience has been of an absent or abusive or a distant or even a disinterested Father? Well, that, you know, that was actually the hardest, it was one of the hardest chapters to write for exactly that reason. I just, I think that, man, guys, most... I think most men that I've talked to, I can count maybe on two hands the number of men I've known in my life who had what they would describe as an ideal relationship with their dad. Yes. You know what I mean? Like most of us, because sin is built into the structure of our relationships and that relationship is so important to us. Yes. Not very many people have that. There's a healing that has to occur there. And the same is true of uh, um, women and their dads. And uh, so that, that whole, the whole structure of our relationships, I think, is warped by sin. And so one of the things that's really challenging, I think, in our culture is talking about God as Father. And we're also, um, we're very hypersensitive, I think, in our cu- culture to anything that smacks of patriarchy. So we go, wait, are you saying that God is a man? Right. And now you're putting maleness at the center of who God is? And that has all kinds of negative stuff personally for me. Plus, hasn't then be, that been responsible for so many abuses throughout history and all? That. It's yeah. a hard, hard chapter, right? And what here's what helps me is that Jesus' preferred way of talking about God is Father. It just is. And so, if we say that He's the Son of God, if we say that the God of Israel raised him from the dead, so validating his entire life, then I think that we have to run with Jesus. But here's the caveat. The caveat is that what we don't do is we don't take our experience of maleness or our experience of fatherhood or any of that and then project it on God and say, this is the spiritual experience writ large. Nor do we take like our ideals of what fatherhood could be. We don't take a picture of masculinity and then throw it up in the skies and say, well, this is God now. Everybody do this. What if we called it a biblical manhood? Can we do it then? <laughs> we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Dear God, we don't do that either. Okay. What okay. we do is we watch the pattern of Jesus' relationship with the one he called Father. 
And we see ourselves as standing inside of Jesus because, in fact, by the Spirit, we are. And we allow something of that relationship. That's what I argue for in that first chapter is that we allow that relationship to begin to almost put new grooves in our minds, put new grooves in our hearts, a new pattern of relating to God. So fatherhood is not what human beings mean by fatherhood thrown up into the clouds. Fatherhood is whatever it is Jesus means when he calls God Father and how he lives that out. And I think by the Spirit, we're invited into that. So, but how does it happen? Man, I think God, I think God heals fatherhood in us a, a thousand different ways, not mm-hmm. least, hopefully, through the church, that we come into mm-hmm. a community where yeah. we experience the fatherhood of God through uh, so many different avenues and paths and relationships and stuff. But, yeah. 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 That, that hard one to write for all of the reasons. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. What I, what I notice in me, Andrew, as you're talking, is that the, the only way I've come to get to know the Father Jesus knew is is I have to flex spiritual uh, muscles that I, I, I maybe I I didn't know I needed until yeah. I don't know the last decade or so, and then mm. when I knew I needed them, I was like suspicious or cautious or skeptical of them, and that is, you've mm. got to encounter God in your imagination. Yes, you do. You you have to. We can't reduce our relationship with the Father yeah. to a set of discursive details. Yes. Yeah. And so what you're describing is. Mm. Um, um, find, so good. Like, finding a place of fear, yeah. And being mm-hmm. in Gethsemane in Christ, yes, and sweating it out there, yes, and yes. and speaking the truth, and then you know picking one of the three dozen psalms that expresses lament. Totally, and you can't just do that in your prefrontal cortex. No, you, know, you, you can't. You can't just like you can't just drive that you through can't with think analysis. Your way out of it. No, you can't. You have to sit with that. I mean, that's why that's where reading the scriptures just is so valuable. That if all we do is just rely on our imaginations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to understand who God is, I think we're gonna. But what we do then, I mean, we we treat you know the Orthodox have been doing this forever. I think that Protestants yeah. and Evangelicals forgot this, but mm-hmm. icons, you know, this, mm-hmm. the scripture is the great icon of God, and the individual scriptures in their own way are icons of God. So what I have found to be really valuable. Is taking some of those high watermark moments in the Gospels of Jesus relating to his Father, and letting those, like almost letting those, become a little tabernacle for me, where mm. I'm worshiping the Father and experiencing the Father in that way through mm. that discrete bit of text. And we'll go on to all the other hard stuff and the complex stuff, but I need to anchor certain things. So when Jesus is coming up out of the waters of baptism, mm. and the voice from the clouds says, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased." I need to hear in that what God is saying over me. Yes. This is my beloved son in Christ Jesus in whom I'm well pleased. And to let that 
saturate to the innermost, to let it, as you said, to let it drive out fear, uh, it, it's, it's transforming. And you move on to the other things. I think of all the times that I've, to your point, Matt, that I have sat with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane facing a hard thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that this thing must be done, but I'm terrified to do it. Yet not my will, but your will, oh God. And I know that your will is good. You only intend what's good. So I can enter into this moment in full confidence mm-hmm. that you're holding mm-hmm. my very being and that even if death should strike me in this, that my life is preserved in you. I'm going to be okay. So it's patterning on what Jesus experienced because yes. he's drawn us into it. The Gospels is not just the biography of Jesus, but in a way it's our yeah. spiritual biography as well. We have to see ourselves inside of it. Yeah. Yes, you referenced the incarnation as being part of the Gospel earlier, right? And yeah. this is part of uh, something I've noticed about your writing um, is that you tend to read a lot of the church fathers for whatever reason. Mm. And um, <laughs> no, they, 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 they describe, you know, Athanasius especially on the Incarnation, that yeah. the Incarnation is part of, and what you just said only makes sense if the Incarnation is a part of our salvation. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because yeah. Jesus is yes. wrapping our humanity up in himself and taking it to the right hand of God. Yes, mm. that's it. That's yeah. it. Well, the incarnation, you know, when I was growing up, we believed in the incarnation, but we did not understand what we were saying, I don't think. Right. I think mm-hmm. what we, we just saw God kind of climbing in a body and doing something that was salubrious for us. He died on the cross and he was raised, <laughs> raised to life again. And somehow that does something that we don't quite understand, but if you believe in it, you're all good, everything good. Mm-hmm. But that's not how the church generally has talked about the incarnation, that the incarnation isn't God taking a body uh, the incarnation is God somehow gathering up all humanity into this one person, Jesus. That He's mm-hmm. the representative head of a of a new humanity. So it only works if that if that is true. And yeah. so then that's how to your point. But that's how we can read the Gospels and go. But this isn't just this particular Jewish man doing these things two thousand years ago. This is him. You know, a favorite term of the Church Fathers, Irenaeus. Origen talked about this. It comes through in so many other writers. Is recapitulation. What Jesus is yeah, doing is yeah. he's resetting the whole human story. Yep. He's putting the human story back on tracks. So yep. he's the consummate Israelite. He's the consummate human being that now is living this life of obedience to the Father. And his spirit now is drawing all humanity into a lived experience of yes. that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You just testified to how we read scripture. Like our yeah. theology yeah. needs to help us posture ourselves in the reading of scripture in a in a theologically yeah. m- more beautiful way. Yes. Yeah. Um, Andrew, there's so many things that we could talk about. I want to return to the chapter you mentioned about the spirit as fire. Yeah. Um, and you, I think it's in that chapter, you talk about the pitfalls or the dangers of self-actualization, right? Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. we we have, maybe we live in a culture, like a self-esteem culture, yeah. mm-hmm. where we try to pump our kids full of sunshine, <laughs> and we go to maybe um, different uh, webinars. Now, we all, all we do is go to webinars where people are telling us how great we are. Um, and that's, that's let's, let's, let's call that one ditch. The other ditch, I think, that I've seen as, an, as a religious temptation is sort of this self self-reclamation, self-loathing, mm. self-condemnation, kind of, mm-hmm. like I'm just a yep. worm, yep. I'm an awful yep. person. And so I feel like most Christians vacillate between sort of this mm. over-positive view of themselves, trying mm. to drive away the self-loathing that creeps yeah. at their door. Yeah. And and those seem, like, those seem like solutions you don't need Jesus for. Right. 
Could you maybe describe, if it's not self-loathing, mm-hmm. and it's not self-actualization, what does mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit do to ourselves that delivers us from that ditch dance? Mm, man, what a great question. What does the Holy Spirit do that delivers us from the ditch dance? I, I think that what the Holy Spirit does, I think this is how I'm increasingly coming to understand the work of the Spirit, is the work of the Spirit, um, it takes away from me all of those things that prevent me rising into true humanness. That's what the Spirit hmm. does. So, hmm. And I'm thinking again of Thomas Merton. I don't know why Merton keeps coming up, but he talks about... Um, he talks about how when we come to a place of, of a genuine perception of God, an awareness of God, what happens is um, we become uh, invisible in that experience as a pane of glass is invisible to the sun. So the more fully itself, and this is going back to Irenaeus, that the glory of God is a human person fully alive, right? right. That the more the pane of glass is fully itself, so cleansed of all debris, right? Mm. The cracks in it are mended. There's mm-hmm. not a bunch of junk on it anymore. It, it has become fully itself. It's not warped by anything. The more it can be filled with the light of the sun and transmit the light of the sun beyond itself to other mm-hmm. things. Yes. What is the work of the Spirit? If we think, if we keep that image in mind, the work of the Spirit is to help me become as that pane of glass is. That all of the accretions of, of our lives that have come about because of sin our fear, our desire, our pride, our anger at other people. The Spirit is stripping all of that away, scraping all of that off of us so that we beca- so that I become more Andrew Arndt than I ever would have been. But the thing is, when I become more Andrew Arndt than I ever would have been otherwise, God is all in all at that point. Now there's not this mm. other entity, Andrew Arndt, that I'm trying to fight for and assert. That's not happening. What's happening is God is shining through this particular human life because it has become as God intends it to be. It's become fully itself. Mm-hmm. And that's, so the question then is about that chapter of the fire that burns. That's why the work of the spirit is painful. And Gregory of Nyssa talks about the fire of God. And he says that when the fire of God comes to us, like why is purification so painful for us? He goes, it's because sin is baked into who we are. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a little bit of dirt on the pane of glass but it's mm. like it's actually almost bound into the molecular structure. Yeah. So mm. that scraping that has to yeah. happen to restore the glass is inevitably going to become painful. <laughs> it's yeah, it's almost, yeah, it's almost like you're, the, metaphor, the metaphor is, um, what I'm hearing isn't scraping, I'm hearing like surgery. Like yeah. there's, there's, this, there's this virus that needs yes. to be cut out. Right? Yeah. And, and the cutting is, a, is the fire of, you describe it as the fire of love. Yes. Which, which yeah. 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 John Paul II had this great definition of love where he said that love, um, love is that which gives itself and gives itself utterly. Hmm. So there's a self-forgetfulness and a self-abandonment to love that we see um, grounded in and exemplified in the members of the Trinity. That the Father donates his whole being from eternity past into eternity future, and that is the Son. And the Son mm-hmm. yields his life eternally back on to the Father, and that flow of Yield, donating and yielding, that is the Holy Spirit, according to some of the great mm-hmm. minds. That's always that giving. So when the Holy Spirit then comes to take residence in us, the, really the primary thing I think that is being defeated is selfishness. As the Spirit is awakening us to that self-donating, self-giving kind of love. And another way to talk about that love is it's just humility. <laughs> it's, 
I'm not yeah. thinking about myself anymore. I'm thinking about I'm thinking mm. about you. But we are yeah. so steeped in our selfishness. Right. That the experience of God, if it's not painful, then it's probably not an experience of God. It yes. must be painful. Yeah. So like, and, no, and not because God is seeking to inflict pain. No. Right? Right? But that's the lie of the false self. Yes. That would prevent us from undergoing the surgery. The, yes. the lie of the false self is God hates you. God no. hates who you are. Look at all the pain he's causing you when in actuality, as as Gregory of Nyssa says, yeah. it's the it's the pain of separating what has what has grown together. Yes. Actually, I, I remembered I, I had a quote from Nyssa. This is probably what you're talking about. Yeah. The, the divine judgment does not primarily bring punishment on sinners. Yes. It operates only by separating good from evil. Yes. And pulling the soul towards communion and yes. blessedness. It yes. is the tearing apart of what has grown together, which brings pain to the one who is being pulled. Oof. That's it. I was just looking for that same quote. That's it. And he says in that yeah. same chapter, I think you're in chapter seven of On the Soul and the Resurrection. I think that's right. Is that I'm, right? I'm reading, yeah. it in, I'm reading it in a quote from another book. Okay, so, great. Yeah. But he says, oh gosh, yes. He says in the same way, uh, here's another piece from that same chapter. He says that when goldsmiths purify gold by fire from the matter which is mixed with it. So that's the thing mm. is that something has become baked yep. into who we are. They don't only melt the adulterant in the fire, but inevitably the pure metal is melted along with the base admixture. And when the latter is consumed, the former remains. In the same way, when evil is consumed by the purifying fire, the soul which is united to evil must necessarily also be in the fire until the base adulterant material is removed, consumed by the fire. And then he goes, he goes on to ask, he says, he says, well, how long does the fire need to burn? He mm. says, it burns as long as it has fuel. <laughs> oh, so, wow. <laughs> there's so, I, and I think that that so cuts the gra- against the grain of American Christianity that, yes. you know, this is your best life now and the experience of God is always going to be wonderful. Yes. And I think that the deeper you go into union with God, I think the more painful it becomes. And I think, and <sighs> I, I, I think the more mature in the Lord you become, I think the more you realize, oh my gosh, the selfishness is not, it doesn't lie on the surface of my existence. Yeah, it has gone down to the very root of my existence. Mm. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Help me pull it up, whatever it takes. And when you get to that point, that whatever it takes yeah. point, now you're really ready, I think, for God to transform you. Yes, hmm. yeah, that's beautiful. I think yeah. one of the gifts your book does for us, Andrew, is it reclaims a lot of church tradition that mm-hmm. we just haven't been exposed to. And, and one of those things is the, the the judgment of God is the love of God. Yes. yes. And um, I, I think that's part of a reimagining of what pain and suffering is for and and what mm. uh, what is it unto? What's the, yeah. what's the telos of this yeah. struggle, of this wrestling? And you're right, we have a counter-narrative, a counter-gospel yeah. that says, well, pain is bad, sadness is a disease, yeah. um, hurt, wrestling is wrong, things should be easy and on the up and up. Mm. And I think to reinvest maybe in our, in our everyday ordinary life, the sanctity of struggle, Yes. Um, and being able to, this is wisdom, what you're describing, being able to name the love of God that is refusing to allow me anything other than mm. the God's self to be my identity mm. and my, my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, 
that's going to suck sometimes mm. because of how committed we are to either trying to actualize ourselves or mm. hate ourselves. And God mm-hmm. won't let us do either. And how mm. committed and how we're hedonists at heart. Oh, we're just looking yes. for pleasure everywhere. Unless it's yes. pleasant, unless it's pleasurable, it's without yeah. value. And I yeah. think that the saints of old have taught us that actually one of the things that, that, that winds up being its own kind of selfishness, that all we're looking for is yeah. self-gratification, that even those things must be cut away. So it so cuts against the grain of American yeah. Christianity that God... You know, God loves you, and He wants you to be very happy, and you. Hopefully, you'll be on the r- lifestyles of the rich and famous one day. And if not that, maybe you can live <laughs> like Chip and Joanna Gaines. And you know, it's hashtag just hashtag blessed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hashtag hashtag blessed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, to round this book out, um, I I thought the first two sections were beautiful, but the last section, I, man, so many books talk about these concepts yeah. or exhort us with things. But then we don't have any mothers or fathers to to see it in, yeah. and you hang you hang what you're teaching on three lives. Yeah, um, a, a Catholic, <laughs> a conscientious objector, and a Quaker. Um, <laughs> uh, Mother Teresa and Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer and uh, Rich, Rich Mullins. Mullins. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rich oh, Mullins. I yeah. want to ask you about this. What struck me about all three of those? Um, and I know some people would want to say Bonhoeffer doesn't fit this, but I disagree. Like, all three of those are way outside of Western Christianity. Mm-hmm. Like, the dominant norm of, like, an evangelical or charismatic Christianity. Yeah. And so you mine, I think you mine the margins of what we think is, like, are they still are they still Christians? Are they, you know, is, a, is a Roman Catholic nun still? You know, like, right. some people have this thought, but you're b- dragging these people yes. and saying, let us pattern yes. our spirituality off of them. Yeah. What was it? Can you just maybe talk about that some mm. more? Was that intentional? Did you? How did you come up with these three? And yeah, just tell us about that a bit. I had the thought maybe to pick three that would span... Uh, the, the duration of church history, so maybe representative in terms of eras or whatever. And then, uh, but I thought, I don't want people that are so far away that they feel remote to us. So I, I would like to mm-hmm. have them be in our century if possible. Um, so that was a factor in the decision making process. The other factor in the decision making process, I think, is maybe, um, I think maybe just kind of shows my own spiritual journey, which is that um, coming from uh, an isolated little tribe on the far flung. Um, uh, edges of Christendom, the non-denominational Pentecostal charismatic movement of the 70s and 80s, uh, we were so isolated from mm. the rest of church history. And part of my journey the last 20 years has been realizing um, how my own experience with God has already been attested to by people who are way yes. outside of my little tribe. You did not discover this. We didn't discover <laughs> this. Other people have discovered it. Other people have experienced it. Other people have talked about it with such wisdom. Oh my gosh, we have a lot to learn from them. So I think I did it for that reason too. And uh, I think the other big reason was I just have a burden to help people see, uh, tied in with that, that their own experience has already been attested to by others and that they're not alone in this. They're not Mm -hmm. alone in this. That when we are the people who worship God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and live in these bodies, then there are going to be consistent patterns to our spirituality, and we can we can mine the experiences of others to find wisdom for our own. And those happen to be three people that I w- I've been really inspired by. The you know the biggest surprise chapter, honestly, was the Rich Mullins chapter, hmm. and that is my favorite chapter of the whole book. 
Um, I can't wait for people to read it and interact with it because I think he's a much more interesting figure than people realized. I mean, he was just, he was a radical in every sense of the word. But, um, and I think that hmm. he exemplifies the life of the spirit. So, yeah. Hmm. Matt has left the building. Oh, my goodness. What happened to him? My neighbor decided to mow their grass. Of course they did. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Closing your door. I had to Closing shut them your window. Out. Yeah. Um, Andrew, I... Our neighbors are power washing the house next door. But, there you go. Uh, it's pr- relatively quiet in the house. They got the quiet okay. power washer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a new, new thing. Yeah. We could talk uh, probably about this book all day, but I, I don't... I want to honor your time and um, honor our listeners as well. You, One of the themes that runs through these three stories... Um, and this phrase caught my eye because we use this phrase at Gravity a lot, and I um, I think it's from Teresa of Avila, but I'm not sure. Maybe you can help us out there. Or Juliana Norwich, I can't remember who. But you use the phrase in talking about Mother Teresa and Dietrich Bonhoeffer in particular of befriending darkness. Yeah. Can you can you say what that is? Yeah. Um, you know, because when... Um, I mean, I grew up in the uh, Satan occultist ritualists of the 80s, the scare, and those were the people that befriended darkness. Right? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. So we're not talking about like becoming Satan's friend. No, 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 no. Well, what are you describing when you say befriending darkness? And nor, why is that so important? It's so important. And nor are we talking about just becoming uh, chronically morose. We're not talking yeah. about that. Yes, right. So uh, I think just for some biography, and I talk about it a little bit in the book, but I think what really almost inaugurated kind of what I would call sort of the, the, the second half of my spiritual journey, maybe the last 20 years, was a period of extended darkness in my late teens and early 20s, probably two or three years long. It was hard. I had a really profound experience of God when I was 16 that lasted, gosh, into junior year, into senior year of high school, where I don't know how to ex- describe it, except that I was, I was just riding this wave of like, God is everywhere. I see him in everything. Everything feels good. It's amazing. And um, my heart was buoyant. And I, I just remember that. And then I also remember that there was a period uh, some t- somewhere in the middle of my 17th year, you know, where the lights just went out. Hmm. Couldn't, I just couldn't experience God anymore. Um, hmm. the, the, the Bible was not speaking to me the same way. Prayer was not working for me. Spiritual conversations with my friends just seemed empty. Everything just seemed empty. I was... You know, I don't know if I was depressed or what it was, but the lights went out and I had no grid for making sense of that because as a charismatic, we were taught that the life of faith is one experiential degree of glory to the next. You just keep going up and to the right until you meet with Jesus. And all of a sudden, everything just kind of fell apart there. And one of the things that I learned, and I'll, I'll I share a lot about this in the book, so I'll save it, you know, let people read it. But one of the things that I learned was that what was happening was the Lord was stripping me of my dependence upon experience yes. so that I could know him in a way that was deeper and more fundamental. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I did, and he brought me through it. And what I, that, that lesson has been reaffirmed over and over again over the last 20 years, that in those times when you don't feel like you're really experiencing God, part of what is happening is that the darkness is falling upon you. And it's a darkness that leads you into this kind of bedrock confidence that God is and God is for me, even if I can't feel it or sense it. One of my favorite um, uh, authors and thinkers in this regard is St. John of the Cross, mm-hmm. who actually said that in his great poem, The Dark Night of the Soul, he said that, that those moments of aridity or spiritual darkness that we go through, that those are like the darkness, that's like the darkness that lovers seek. The privacy where mm-hmm. union is experienced and re-experienced with each other. And that has, 
that has become so helpful for me. Think about when you're in those periods of deep darkness, what's happening. He actually called it the lucky dark. <laughs> that when you're in that place of spiritual darkness, you're actually very fortunate because yeah. God is stripping your senses so that he can draw your spirit into a kind of bedrock confidence in who he is that then mm. will nourish your spirit. You know, you'll be, you'll be more equipped to see him everywhere and in everything. So it actually does in a way, it's like the burning away of your senses in order to have your senses rise up again from the dead, sharper and stronger and clearer, if that makes any sense. But I think we need to talk about this with people. I mean, the burden of the book for me actually, guys, is those whose faith is hanging on by a thread. Yeah. Because they were sold a bill of goods by American Christianity yeah. and nobody told them that it was going to be like this. And I'm trying to help them see that like there is no experience that you can have, including the experience of being forsaken by God, or so you feel, yeah. that is not already attested to in the life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because as it turns out, mm. when Jesus was hanging on the cross and his life was ebbing from his body, he raised his voice to heaven and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God knows what it's like to be abandoned by God. And so it's all there yeah. for us in the Christian yeah. story if we have eyes yep. to see it. That's, yeah. To me, that's the burden of the book. It's just helping people. That's, that's so needed. Uh, so needed, Andrew. It, it, it is because I think that experience of sort of feeling like the struggle of the dark night, you know, feeling abandoned by God, there's a shame attached to it that, oh, yeah. that makes us not want to talk about it. Yeah. Like, I don't want to bring that up. Like everybody, all my friends around me seem like so excited to yeah. sing these songs and be in church and all this stuff. And yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. You know what, so I think, I think it's a necessary conversation to, to normalize it. Yeah. And to, you know, like a, when you were talking about um, St. John of the Cross calling it the lucky dark, I had this uh, picture. I think we should make t-shirts or something, right? Mugs maybe that just say like going through a dark night of the soul. Lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I feel that way. Do you know, and I'm sure that you guys have experienced this too as pastors, that I, I, if, if you walk this in the right kind of way with God, you'll actually, um, it helps you as a, as a pastor when people are yeah. struggling yeah. with things. I mean, I think about, it, especially our time at Bloom, you know, in Denver, so many, um, so many young people who were skeptical, mm. hanging on their thread yeah. of faith by yeah. a, a thread, going through deconstruction. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. If it is true that there's no experience that we can have that doesn't happen inside of the gracious goodness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then that means that even those seasons of deconstruction are actually, they are, they are burning bush moments mm-hmm. yes. where the bush is yes. on fire. My faith is on fire, but it's not burning up type thing. And so mm. it gives you confidence as a pastor, I think. I mean, I think of all the yes. times yeah. now when somebody comes up to me, they go, Andrew, I'm not sure if I can believe in this anymore. I go, oh, sweet. Lucky. Lucky, exactly. <laughs> like you are on the threshold of something amazing. So yes, yes. go ahead, That's become an good. atheist. We got you. You it's know, just keep showing it. up. Let's just follow yep. it all the way through. And there's nothing yep. to run from here. God yep. has you in this, even if you don't believe in him anymore. Like yeah. you, it's all going to be Beautiful. good and we've got you, Beautiful. you know? Yeah. 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 God That's a good you. word. Good yeah. word for pastors. Andrew, this has been uh, wonderful. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I've, I've enjoyed it so much. Thanks, guys. Yeah, the the book again is called All Flame. Yep, uh, by Andrew Art. When does it come out? September out? September fifteenth. All right, Tuesday, September fifteenth. All right, well, that could be in the past or future. Only Ben knows the calendar that we release this <laughs> we'll, podcast. We'll see when we release this. Yeah, we'll yeah. figure it out. Um, if people want to connect with you more, Andrew, I know you. Um, you're part of a writing collective. Could you tell people about mm. that and where else they can find you online? Yeah, I write. Um, 
you know, uh, probably half a dozen times a year for Missio Alliance, so they can catch up okay. with my writing there. Um, I blog and make other things over at andrewarnt.com, so you can find me there. Um, I write some for Mere Orthodoxy, so you can find some of my writing there. And then, uh, you know, on social media, at the Andrew Arndt on Twitter and Instagram, and Andrew Arndt on Facebook. Great. Yeah. Andrew, thanks for being with us today. It's a blessing. Thanks, guys. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.